This is With You in the Weeds. Do you ever find yourself stuck in between what you know to be true and what you actually experience? Or the difference between where you are and where you want to be? Well, if so, you're in the weeds. And like weeds, those tough places keep coming back. I'm Lynn Rausch. And I'm John Tennant. As counselors, Lynn and I deal with those weeds all the time. Together, we designed this podcast because we want to be with you in those weeds, kind of like God desires to be with us. Hmm. Now, that idea will change everything. So we hope you'll listen in and let us be with you in the weeds. Let's get started. Okay, so today we're getting right into the weeds. Uh, We're going to get into the topic of emotions. And here are the following questions that we're going to address. First of all, what we want to talk about in this podcast are what are emotions? Second is how do they get a bad rap in the church? Lots of questions around them. Third thing is why might we find ourselves resistant to working with them, thinking about them, dealing with them, etc. Fourth is why can't we just ignore them? What happens if we do? And fifth, how do we begin working with them? So we're going to jump right into it. What are emotions? And Lynn, you're going to jump into this with a story that we've talked about. Yeah. So uh, as we've been preparing for today's podcast on emotions, I recalled this story that I thought really fits with how we want to describe this to our listeners. So um, my mom was in town visiting and I was taking her to the airport. And on the way to the airport, we're driving along and all of a sudden the radio starts going out in my car. All the lights come on on the dashboard, the engine light, the brake light, the battery light, and it's just flashing. But then it kind of restores and goes back to normal. So I keep driving. But with all the lights going off on my dashboard, I thought, okay, something must be wrong here. So I pull over to the side of the road, call my husband. He comes and meets me. I take his car to the airport. Was he mad? Uh, no, he was very he was very helpful that day. That's so good. He was he was uh, he rescued us. But um, come to find out after AAA, you know, comes and tows the car that the alternator had gone out. And had I tried to continue my journey with my mom on the way to the airport, we would have broken down on the side of the road. It it would have been a bad situation. And so I'm really thankful that all those signals, all those lights on the dashboard went off because it was cluing me that something was wrong with the car. And we think that looking at our emotions kind of like an emotional dashboard is a really helpful analogy. So why is that, John? Why why is that such a helpful word picture for yeah, us? Yeah, I'll uh, pick that up. Um, I'm just glad that your car like finally got restored and you got rescued, but because you would have been stuck with your mom like on the side <laughs> of the road. I love my mom. Don't worry. I know. Um, yeah. So just like an engine has a thousand working parts that are in play that we are totally unaware of. Like when we push the gas pedal, slow down, shift, etc. That is all happening without us thinking about it. The lights on the dashboard, the reason I like this story and I like this analogy for emotions is the lights on the dashboard are going to tell us what is going on with the engine and what we need to pay attention to. Um, And that way we can keep driving smoothly, effectively, and get to our destination. So we have found that 
uh, thinking about emotions like this is helpful. Now, the thing about dashboard lights, they can't tell you how to get to your destination, but they do tell you the way that you can get enough power and enough engine health to actually get there. Now, in a similar fashion, emotions tell you truth. Um, There are a couple of things they can and they can't do. The truth that they can tell you about is what is happening in your heart. They're like a window into your soul. Uh, They're not good. They're not bad in and of themselves. And they can be connected to desires that are out of alignment with God's will and desires that are unhealthy. But the emotions in and of themselves are amoral. Um, They're not good or bad. Mm -hmm. They're indicators of what your brain is telling you uh, deep inside of you, like an engine in your car. So they can tell you truth about you, about what's happening inside of you. They're sort of like those lights that say, hey, pay attention to Mm -hmm. this. But what they cannot tell you is not all of the truth that you need. They can't guide you into ultimate truth about reality. So I'll throw a quick example in here. Um, If I do enough drugs, I can feel invincible. And that feeling is true. It's telling me that truthfully inside of myself, I feel like I can do anything. Um, But if I go into the highway feeling invincible, like I can stop an 18-wheeler, reality is going to run me over. Mm -hmm. So emotions can do things really well. There are certain things they can't do really well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's a really helpful way to make sense of what emotions are. Um, Another way that we can help understand what emotions are is just breaking down the word emotion. So break it down to E-motion. So emotions are energy that are moving through the body and they're meant to move through us, kind of like a wave that's passing through us. And they're meant to be noticed, processed, and then passed on and out of our body, kind of like how we eat food and metabolize it, and then it leaves our body. Um, but like you're saying, emotions are neither good or bad. They're just automatic reactions to our environment. And I think it's important to understand just the beautiful complexity of how God created our brains. So very simply put, the left hemisphere of the brain directs the logical, linear, and language functions. And I actually like that's a way for me to help remember left side because left starts with L and then logical, linear, and language. And that's also known as explicit memory. And then the right hemisphere of the brain directs the emotions, sensations, and images we encounter. And that's also known as implicit memory. Now, interestingly, the right or emotional side of the brain is fully operational at birth. So since we come home from the hospital, we're taking in all of our emotional environment, all of those cues, while the left side of the brain or the logical side of the brain, that takes much longer to develop, almost up to age 25. So from birth, our emotions are a form of information like signals on a dashboard that are sending messages at a rapid pace about what's going on inside of us in response to things happening both internally and externally. And we need to be able to access that information and then figure out what it's telling us because these are real physiological sensations or 
motion, right? Movement or motion that's felt in the body. And it's actually processed in the right side of the brain before we even know what to think about them. Isn't yeah. that crazy? Like uh, you've experienced this before. Like if your heart beats rapidly or mm-hmm. your stomach feels nauseous yeah. before a job interview, that is your right brain connected to all of your body telling you there's a lot at stake in this process. And so your right brain is already gearing your body up for something. Your left brain then has to take that and put words around it, name it, and organize it. Um, Now, the other thing that's kind of interesting that everybody's going to get as soon as I mention it, but we often don't pay attention to it, you mentioned that the left brain or the logic part of the brain isn't fully developed until eh, 25 years of age. So if an 18-year-old goes to rent a car, like the cost is so much higher. And as soon as they get 25, they drop the rental cost. It's because insurance companies know science. Right, right. They know They've this. figured this out. Yeah. It's a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, so the old model, and we've talked about this, um, kind of worked like this. And this is what a lot of us grew up with speaking about how the feelings move through the body. The old model was based on the idea that what you feel is a result of how you think. So if you just think the right things, you'll feel the right things, or you'll be able to control how you feel. That's the old model. So now we've had two decades of brain research, and there's a new model. And it's telling us that you feel and you know something before you actually intellectualize it and think about it. So think of uh, your left brain that does all the cognitive stuff, um, you know, on, off, two plus two equals four, you know, linear logical. If this, then that. Think of that part of your brain as like a local thunderstorm. And think of your feeling, your feelings, your right brain, what's happening in your body as an overall climate. So the climate, let's say, of the North American continent is going to determine what kinds of local storms pop up where. And so the right brain is kind of like that. It sets the stage for what we actually end up believing. So that's why uh, if you hear people say, well, just believe the right things, and then your feelings will fall into place, it just doesn't work that way. Because as you mentioned, ever since the crib, our right brain, like a film camera, has been recording everything and drawing conclusions about it, interpreting Interpreting automatically. And then it's lodged into what we call neural networks, neurons or brain cells, and they network together. So there's a phrase in our industry, uh, Hebb's law of learning, uh, what fires together, wires together. Like if something really negative happens, your brain sort of super glues that experience in your memory along with the emotions that happened at that time, along with the way that you interpreted it and how you coped with it. Um, I use this example a lot when we teach. Like if I say, Lynn, um, it was really great to do this podcast with you today. Uh, Five years from now, you won't remember that. If I say, Lynn, your nose looks funny and you dress really weird and I don't like the way you smile, you're kind of weird. (laughs) Five years from now, you will remember that. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And that's just the way the brain and we is. won't be friends anymore. And we, <laughs> well, you could forgive me. Um, and heaven knows we've been through that process. Yes, true. Um, but this is all happening. Right. All this right brain stuff. Rapid fire pace. Yeah. Rapid fire pace in mm-hmm. nanoseconds mm-hmm. Uh, outside of our awareness. Another thing I could throw in here that's kind of an interesting piece of information. It's fairly recent from brain research. And it just shows the power of the right brain and emotions and how it happens automatically in a nanosecond outside of our awareness. Um, Every 60 seconds, the right brain is taking in 11 million bits of information and processing it. That's what it's capable of. Mm -hmm. Um, However, the left brain, the thinking brain is a lot slower. It can only take in 60 bits of information every minute. So the right brain is very fast Mm -hmm. and the left brain is much slower. It's always playing catch up. Hmm. And the right brain is sort of like, catch me if you can, uh, because it's already doing its thing. God's designed us this way. Um, And it happens outside of our awareness, kind of like breathing. We don't think about breathe in, breathe out. Mm -hmm. We just do it. Autonomic. autonomic. So without knowing like what the emotions do for us, what they're trying to do for us, how they work, what they are, uh, we'll be lost. We won't be able to make wise decisions. We won't be able to manage our lives. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I'm so glad we're talking about this because I know that historically in the church, when um, people have experienced intense emotions or distressing emotions, there's been sort of a popular uh, way of dealing with that of just having people read a Bible verse or memorize a Bible verse, which I love the Bible and I love reading the Bible and I've memorized a lot of verses of scripture. But I think this speaks to how the left side of the brain, you know, even though we're putting information in there, we can't ignore that the right side of the brain already has and is already primed with a lot of um, memories, emotional experiences, interpretations about things that we have to address maybe first, even before we think that the left side of the brain, like you said, can catch up with that. And so that brings us to the next question of why or how have emotions gotten a bad rap in the church? I mean, you and I, you know, we've been in ministry for a long time. We're both now counselors. Um, So we've kind of run into this before, haven't we, John? A lot. (laughs) So what is it about our emotions that um, we're maybe not willing or wanting to address in a church setting. Yeah, there are a number of ways that we could frame this. This is a way that's helpful for me. Um, Think of a spectrum and you have extremes on either end of the spectrum. So at one extreme uh, end of the spectrum is the person who distrusts emotions, discounts them, and basically wants to distance themselves from them. Um, this is like only operating out of your left brain mm-hmm. logic, data in, data out. Um, and honestly, this is why a lot of Christian thinkers ignore the emotional realm and we're pretty much left as Christian bobbleheads, right? Just mm-hmm. doctrine, mm-hmm. <laughs> ideas, truth, propositional truth, um, and emotions are sort of seen as the danger zone. Mm-hmm. And everything becomes about facts. Um, This is where the church has lived for a very long time. 
probably since the Enlightenment when reason and rationality were put on the throne. If we just think the right things, we can figure everything out, solve sure. the world's problems. Mm-hmm. And that's filtered into theology. It's filtered into the way that we think about God, ourselves, the church, the world. Mm-hmm. The problem with this extreme is that it ignores half of our brain and half of our body or half of our brain and our whole body. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are a lot of problems with that. But that's where the church has lived. Uh, very suspicious of emotion. At the other end of the spectrum is the extreme of just embrace your emotions, don't process them, just sort of follow your heart wherever it leads you. And this is where the culture currently finds itself. Um, To the degree that uh, pastors and theologians push back on this uh, because of the problems it creates, I would fully agree with them. Because at this extreme, you're not learning from your emotions. It has the facade of honoring emotion, but it's very shallow. It's not learning from them. It's not listening to them. You don't question them. You don't um, analyze them. You don't listen to what they're telling you. Uh, You'd basically just follow them like a little guide because supposedly they're going to lead you into the true, authentic you. The problem with this extreme, like the other one, uh, it too ignores half of our brain, the thinking part, mm-hmm. and it expects emotion to do something emotions can never do. As we mentioned earlier, they can never lead us into ultimate truth. In between these two extremes, people find themselves somewhere along the spectrum mm-hmm. in like a combination of thinking and feeling. So as we approach this entire series on emotions, and this is why we're doing this episode to give a framework for how to understand emotions. As we do this, we don't want to elevate emotion. Instead, we want to learn from emotion and look at how God made us with them and how he designed them to help us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the gut level knowledge really is so important. Like you said, we, we can't just operate out of half of our brains. And so when we say you know, listen to your gut, which I really do a lot, and I trust my gut. Um, what we are really saying is that my right brain, right, with all of its memories and associations and things that it's learned in the past and trial and error and tested out and uh, made mistakes and learned from those mistakes, is the right side of my brain is immediately giving me an interpretation that I need to listen to, like that signal on a dashboard. And if we say ignore your emotions, then we're discounting a lot of information that we not only need for our survival, but just for our overall well-being and health. And it's actually part of the integration process where we gain wisdom and knowledge. When we get the right brain and the left brain to connect with each other and share information, that's what actually matures our brain and turns us into a fully formed adult. So Hmm. by doing that, we are building a bridge where information can go back and forth. And honestly, without that bridge, we can't learn from our mistakes. We can't effectively govern our impulses. We can't live with delayed gratification. We can't have healthy, intimate relationships with meaningful communication until we can connect with our emotional worlds. We really can't ignore it. So, Lynn, would you say um, at that point we're a victim of the right brain uh, 
that will actually overwhelm us and overpower what we're doing and we don't even know it. And would you say that that a good verse for that is the proverb, like a city that is uh, without walls, so is a man who has no control over his spirit? Mm-hmm. Would you say that's like an ancient biblical mm-hmm. way of saying we should pay attention like right. to what's going on? Right. Yeah. I mean, city without walls, like not having those internal boundaries and without knowing our emotional worlds and being able to categorize those things and put them into words, we feel boundaryless. And hmm. I think that's a great um, proverb to to bring up there. So, yeah, so you and I know that people are often resistant to working on their emotions. We We run into this a lot. And so why do you think people are resistant to talking about their feelings? That's a really big topic. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'll throw a couple of things out there that I think are pretty common. Number one, people are afraid to feel. Mm -hmm. Um, They really are afraid that if they feel certain things, those feelings are going to engulf them Mm -hmm. and they won't be able to survive feeling it. Like they're going to implode somehow. It's going to totally overwhelm them. Now, Mm -hmm. a lot of this comes from childhood. Uh, When children... Uh, feel emotions. Just think of a boogeyman, right, in the room at night. Um, That's not just a, oh, I think I saw a shadow and I'm kind of scared of that. They literally experience that emotion as this thing is going to consume me Mm -hmm. until they go get mom and dad and mom and dad come in the room with them and say, you know, it's okay. We're here with you. The parent regulates the emotion for the child. Mm -hmm. If that doesn't get built in early on as a category. Um, you literally grow up into adulthood without that category. Mm-hmm. And so when you experience anxiety or fear or um, things like that, negative emotions, you literally are thinking kind of like a little kid, like, I can't survive this. Mm-hmm. So honestly, people are afraid of mm-hmm. experiencing their emotions. You know what? Let me let me jump in there too cuz going back to the proverb of a city without walls um what parents are giving them is internal boundaries and internal mm. structure for understanding what is happening inside of them and without that everything does feel big and overwhelming like a city without walls. There's no boundary around their emotions. So all of this is being processed rapidly. Kids are learning this at an early age. So yeah, tell me a little bit more about mom and dad and the influence that they have on us in our childhood. Yeah. um, Maybe the best way to illustrate it is like in one of our classes, the parenting class, we talk a lot about the difference between doing love versus communicating love. Doing love is what most parents do pretty well. Uh, They provide food, clothing, housing, education for their kids. Um, If the kiddo gets cut, they take them to the emergency room. Mm -hmm. That's all doing love. Um, And and that's good. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that, except it's not the same as communicating love. And communicating love, one of the best ways to understand it is the four S's. Uh, Alan Shore out of UCLA has boiled attachment down into these four words, these four categories, uh, seen, soothed, safe, and secure. Mm -hmm. Um, It's what every kiddo needs, like to have these internal boundaries 
and foundations to process things. And it's also what every adult needs. Um, scene. Uh, that one, uh, if I see you across the table, Lynn, that's great. But that's not the kind of seeing we're talking about. If I see you and I know that you grew up as a pastor's kid and I know things about you and I know what you like and I know what you don't like, um, that's really seeing you. Mm-hmm. That's knowing you. Mm-hmm. So every kiddo needs that. Soothed. When something goes wrong, um, my parents are going to be there to comfort me, you know, whether it's I'm hungry or cold or whatever. Uh, safe. Like, I know that I will be okay. I will be safe. Uh, I don't have to worry about survival. Um, and then secure. Like, this is going to happen over and over and over again. So I have the security of knowing I have a predictable future that has some hope to it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's communicating love. And most parents really have not been taught how to do this well. Um, they haven't been able to build the bridge between the emotional brain and the thinking brain. So children grow up into adulthood with no concept or category or capacity to engage the emotional world. And that's scary. It's kind of like if I buy a car with out power windows and a radio, but it has brakes, like I can still get to where I'm going, have a good time. Maybe I can't like, you know, easily roll the window down. I have to use my muscle. Maybe I can't listen to the radio. It might not be as fun, but if I have brakes, I can stop the car Mm -hmm. without building into ourselves early on the capacity to process right brain emotion. It's like a fast car with no brakes. You can make it until you need to stop. Mm -hmm. Um, Really scary stuff. And that's what I find in a lot of my clients. They're scared of experiencing their emotions because they're not used to it or they don't see the value in it. Yeah. But I think what we're talking about is just that we can't ignore our feelings uh, because if we do, they're going to come out sideways, kind of like a weed popping up through the crack in the cement, right? I mean, they're just, they're there since birth. We have to learn how to process them, deal with them. We may not have had parents that were very adept at that. They might have been dismissive. They might have uh, been punishing or punitive when we expressed a feeling. Um, A lot of people just grew up not believing that they had the permission to feel anything. And then they end up coming to us (laughs) with like 50 years worth of feelings that have never been labeled, named, processed dealt with, passed on through their bodies. Well, and you know this, and I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but it fits here. Um, We have a saying, if you can name it, you can tame it. Mm -hmm. Like literally, if you can name an emotion, you put a category to it or a label, like all of a sudden, and I don't know how this works, I just know it works, all of a sudden you feel better. Mm-hmm. Um, like if you go to the doctor with a stomach ache and they say, gee, we've done all the tests. We don't know. Like you're really kind of wound around the axle. You don't know what's going on with you. But if you go and you're really sick and you're throwing up and the doc says, Hey, you know what? We know what this is. We're going to give you some medicine. You'll be fine in two weeks. Mm-hmm. Well, you're still sick and throwing up, but you feel better <laughs> because you know yeah. what's going to happen. 
Well, and that's brought the left brain and the right brain together, right? Mm -hmm. I'm feeling something and now I have words to wrap around it. So it's not quite so, so scary. And another example might be sort of like pushing down a beach ball. If you've ever been in a swimming pool and you have a beach ball and you're like pushing it under the water, but the harder you try to push it down, the more forcefully it's trying to bob up to the surface. I mean, our emotions are a lot like that. And a lot of times we think of emotions as disruptive or unproductive, but they're there and we need to deal with them and recognize them. Um, In fact, I think that we're the most vulnerable to being overrun by our emotions when we fail to detect them. Um, When we resist them or we don't have a way to express them or don't have language for them, they're going to overtake us in ways that are confusing and misleading. So let's go into the fourth point because we're already there. Yeah. The fourth point, why can't we just ignore our emotions? Why can't we just step around them? Especially the ones that we don't like, like anxiety or sadness or shame. I mean, nobody wants to feel those things, John. Nobody does. I don't. No. <laughs> I I told my wife last week, I really wish I could reach into my head and unscrew the emotional chip sometimes and just take it out. Um, Mm. Nobody wants to really feel them. Mm. They're unpleasant. Mm -hmm. Um, But God has created us in such a way that we're designed to be connected to him. And the most horrific thing that a human can experience is feeling disconnected, Mm -hmm. um, alone. And that happened in what uh, theologians call the fall. Mm-hmm. When Adam and Eve rebelled, there was a separation between them and God, and we're all born there. Like, we're all born trying to figure out, do I have some sense of worth? Like, what's going on with me? Mm-hmm. That's one separation. But the other separation that sometimes is not noticed is we're separated from ourselves in relationship. We're very suspicious of each other now. Don't trust each other much. Blame each other, shame each other, all that stuff. But we're also internally separated from ourselves. We don't understand ourselves very well. Mm-hmm. We're fragmented. Mm-hmm. You want to pick up on that? Yeah. I mean, I, I love that uh, word fragment because there really is a splitting that has occurred um, internally inside of us. And because of that fragmentation, that splitting, it sometimes feels like we're just stumbling around in the dark. And there are things that We haven't looked at. We haven't allowed ourselves to feel. We've tried to split them off, cut them off, disavow ourselves of thoughts, feelings, or experiences that we've had. But if what we're saying is true and our emotions are a window into our soul, and if God invites us to know ourselves, like he wants us to know our hearts, then the reality is is that emotions are the key pathways for us to begin to know ourselves well and to open up our hearts to relational connection in the presence of people who love us. All right, let me throw, before we move into how do we work with our emotions, one more thing that is a resistance to emotion that belongs, I think, in large part to the male world is we as men hate weakness and we see Mm -hmm. engaging our emotional world as weak. It's going to make us vulnerable, Mm -hmm. too soft. Um, and I don't really know how to jump over that hurdle other than to say that that is a cultural construct that we've inherited, 
but it really seriously gets into our way. Um, you know, there are special forces operatives writing now about being in touch with your emotional world, because unless you know how to deal with your fear in the face of danger, you're going to freeze. Um, so it's a very manly thing. It's a very right brain thing uh, to do. But that is one reason that I think men in particular find this um, as something that they don't want to get into. Also, men have extreme power in their anger and they fear that. Like if I unleash the anger mm. tiger from the cage, mm -hmm. like I'll destroy things. Sure. And so some researchers like John Gottman talk about stonewalling. And stonewalling typically is done more by men than women because men are afraid, mm. like, to deal with their emotions. Mm -hmm. So it really does get in our way, but it is a hurdle. Yeah. So I want to consider um, something with you that we're going to suggest to our audience and that we think is true, that we are not going to be able to make significant movement toward maturity in our lives if we don't engage our emotional world. Mm -hmm. So can you say something about that? Yeah. Um, yeah, we, we, that's where we kind of want to end today. And that's just how do we begin working on understanding our emotional dashboard? And you mentioned earlier the fall in Genesis chapter three, that three things happened that were really bad. Uh, we were separated from God. We were separated from human relationships, but we were also separated internally. We were split apart internally. And so one of the ways to think about opening ourselves up to knowing our emotions is that we can work on reversing the effects of the fall. And so the first way I would say is with ourselves where that splitting has happened is can we just start with just be honest? Just kind of like Adam and Eve <laughs> needed to be. <laughs> yeah, right. Just just be honest. Can we just start there? I know that sounds radical. Um, I know that sounds <laughs> like, oh, that's so scary. But like if if you could just be honest, you know, and I think we live in a world where we're constantly bombarded with voices all around us speaking into our ears. And we need to be able to slow down. We need to be able to tune those voices out. And it takes quiet. It takes intention. But if we can slow down and pay attention, we can start the process of self-reflection. And I know that that's hard for people um, because life is busy and we don't want to slow down. But we need to work on just slowing down, paying attention, and beginning to self-reflect. Let me take you back to something you said and see if I can make a connection that I think you're making that's really important. Um, going back to the split inside of us, that we're fragmented, and we need to be honest. And what happened when Adam and Eve rebelled? They were dishonest, and they started to lose their understanding of themselves of God's intentions. Um, so you're suggesting, I think, that like the root of all emotional problems really goes back to spiritual issues. That's where it began. So is it fair to say that for us to grow spiritually, that means we need to become mature and wise in handling our emotions? Yeah, 
I would say, and I began to recognize this over the years as I was doing counseling, that what became apparent to me was that people's spiritual growth and their emotional growth were basically on the same trajectory. Like Mm. if you were to look at a, a graph and like plot out where people were at, that people's spiritual maturity was very much tied to their emotional maturity. And so I think there's definitely a a correlation there and we see that and we work with that uh, with people. So yeah, I would agree that just starting with the process of being honest with yourself is a great place to start and just be curious. You know, so when you have a strong emotion inside, you mentioned anger and we're going to talk about some of the big biggies in this series, but the biggie biggies, um, But instead of pushing it away, start to analyze it a little bit. Start to identify it. Try to name it. Um, Maybe get a feeling word sheet. You know, look online. There's lots of them out there. We keep them in our offices, you know. um, Tons of them. As You know, because we're always handing them out to our clients. But just start by identifying those uh, big emotions. Um, There are actually six universal feelings that researchers have identified that every human being has. And this goes across culture, across continents, across the entire human race. And the, those big six emotions are sadness, fear, anger, happiness, surprise, and disgust. So those are the big six. And under each of these major categories, we have hundreds of variations and levels of intensity. Of these emotions. Those are just like the big categories, but underneath those, we can get all the way from a low intense feeling to a a much more intense feeling. So if you're a human, you're going to have and you're going to experience these feelings. And so you start by being honest and then maybe start to make some connections from your feelings to thoughts or beliefs or deeper desires. But here's the, the main point I want people to hear is that no matter what you're thinking or feeling or whatever negativity you may ascribe to what you're thinking or feeling, we are free to be honest with ourselves. We have that freedom because God invites us to do that. And he already knows us, but he wants us to know ourselves. I love the passage. It's one of my favorites where David in Psalm 139 uh, begins the psalm with a statement, God, you have searched me. You do know me. And then he ends the psalm with an invitation, God, search my heart. Mm-hmm. He's engaging in the process. Mm-hmm. See um, if there are any hurtful ways in me. Try me. Mm-hmm. Like probe and, and in- investigate me and see uh, my anxious thoughts. Um, he's asking for that. Mm-hmm. So you, we can bring those feelings into relationship with God. because. Like God has taken. Because he already knows. (laughs) Yeah, he already knows. And God has taken Mm -hmm. the notion of good enough off of the table in the gospel. And he's with us and he's saying, come closer. I already know. Mm -hmm. I get it. Yeah. So we start by being honest with ourselves. And then you're saying, let's be honest with God. He already knows. Um, he's already searching our hearts and he's engaging in that process with us. And then I guess the last thing would just be bringing our feelings into relationship with other safe people, with people who are willing to 
get in the weeds with you, right? These are people who know that they have weeds too, that they can't pull themselves, that they don't know what to do with, that keep showing up. And it's really in relationship that we have that chance of connection where we can be seen, safe, soothed, and secured, like you mentioned earlier. Those four S's, they don't go away even as we go into adulthood, do they? No, they don't. They're always there. Mm-hmm. Um, I find that sometimes people can get kind of stuck um, thinking there's no one in my life that's safe. Mm-hmm. And quite frankly, sometimes there are good reasons for having that concern. Mm-hmm. Um, but we can get really stuck if we constantly scan looking for someone who's safe Um we can become quite isolated in that and almost use it as a defense mechanism for mm. not engaging. Sure. So one of the things I like to tell my clients is if you can't find someone like that, can you become a person like that? Mm-hmm. Like do this with God, mm-hmm. do this with your counselor, but try and become this for somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a passage in first Peter and it says each one of us, has been given a special gift, and we're serving up grace. We're stewards, he says, of the manifold grace of God. Like we're waiters and waitresses serving up the grace of God. Mm -hmm. So that can be a place to start as well. Yeah, and we just need to remember that, you know, God is with us in this world, no matter how ugly it may feel to us. And God is with us in the weeds, right? He sent Jesus to be with us in the weeds of life. So this is a process that we know we are not alone in. We know that we can find other people to help us in that, but it is a great first step when we can be honest with ourselves, be honest with God, and start being honest with the people around us. So that's how we can understand our emotional dashboard and take a first few steps. Yep. The other thing is if you don't feel that, like God is with you, Hang out in this podcast for a while, and over time, maybe you'll start to get a glimmer of, wow, this could be true. Uh, Somebody gets me. Um, I'm not alone. God is with me in the weeds. This is going to be a good series. I agree. I'm excited to keep going with it. Thanks, John. Hey, thanks for giving us your valuable time and allowing us to be with you in the weeds of your life. We want this resource to bring you hope and help bridge the gap between where you are and where you want to be. You can find our email on our podcast page. We'd be interested to know what you'd like to hear more of. Until next time, remember, God is with you in the weeds.